This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including Latin 101, Learning a Classic Language. For this limited time 80% offer, go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North America and all the ships at sea. This is Philip Terzian, literary editor of the Weekly Standard, with my weekly podcast on the books and arts section of the Weekly Standard. And this week we're looking at the issue dated March 30th, 2015. Um, The lead piece is an essay um, by Abby Schachter, who... um, uh, writes generally about pop culture, but also social issues. And it's an appreciation of a book on the 40th anniversary of its publication. And the book is Liberal Parents, Radical Children by Midge Dechter, which was published in 1975 and is probably what um, uh, made Midge Dechter the um, well-known personage that she is today. She was a well-known writer and editor prior to that, but Liberal Parents, Radical Children um, had a deep and lasting impact, and Abby Schachter explains that it's a it's a description of the uh, thinking, if that's the word for it, behind um, the raising of baby boom children. Um, I confess I'm smack in the middle of that demographic. Actually, I think the year I was born is the year that the highest number of uh, births were recorded in the United States, so I may be perhaps personally described as a a poster child for the baby boom. Uh, Nevertheless, um, uh, Midge Dechter looked at the the condition of the young in the late 1960s and 1970s and tried to find where they had uh, how, how we had gotten from point A to point B, and in her usual um, trenchant and learned and eloquent way. And Abby Schachter explains how, um, I suppose in some ways things have gotten better, and in some ways they've gotten worse, but in, but the, the problem of uh, parenting uh, and the uh, philosoph- various philosophies of um, parenthood and childhood um, have uh, not always uh, worked out so well in the long run, and uh, much uh, food for thought, as it were. That is followed by a review by Jay Weiser of a book um, entitled Fragile by Design, The Political Origin uh, Origins of Banking Crises and Scarce Credit by Charles Calamaris and Stephen Haber. This is from Princeton University Press. Um, I hesitate to uh, extol a, uh, a book, a 584-page book on the subject of banking, um, but it's an interesting account of the culture of banking and how, uh, especially in our society, and 
how it has threaded through American history from the very beginning. I used as an illustration um, the uh, a cartoon uh, from the early 1830s of Andrew Jackson uh, taking on the Second Bank of the United States. So this this book is not only about the culture of banking and the interface, as it were, between politics and public policy and banking, but also banking um, as it has evolved in our times and how government in its efforts either to help banking institutions or hinder them in the Elizabeth Warren uh, sense of things has had a series of unforeseen consequences. Jay Weiser, who teaches uh, law at Baruch College in New York, is a um, that rare bird, uh, someone who can who can make uh, economic and uh, financial subjects uh, interesting to read about, and he certainly does it here. Um, and it gives us gives us at least gave me a certain perspective on the subject that I, I had not. Uh, ever entertained and which uh, taught me a lot. I think it will for you as well. Um, we have a piece by James Gardner um, who often comments on art um, for us and this is a uh, it's actually a piece about an exhibition in Washington at the National Gallery of Art of the Renaissance Florentine painter Piero di Cosimo. Um, I can hardly recommend the show um, but before you go, and if you go, if you're in Washington, um, um, definitely read what James Gardner has to say. But um, Piero de Cosimo is a lesser-known uh, Florentine master, but a fascinating figure, um, highly eccentric, and yet also a, a um, very much a painter by trade whose whose subject matter and style um, uh, was very much reflected the people who were commissioning him to do their works. And the, the show is very good at, at, um, at showing this, uh, illustrating this, as it were. Um, so it's a, it's a great piece by James Gardner about a, an Italian master that I had really barely knew anything about. And um, now there's this great show at the National Gallery of Art where you can uh, appreciate what James Gardner is writing so interestingly about. Um, we also have a piece by Robert Bryce on a short book entitled The Rightful Place of Science, Disasters, and Cl Climate Change by Roger uh, Pilkey, Jr. Um, Roger Pilkey is one of those contrarian uh, scientists who uh, faced with the political phenomenon of climate change and global warming um, likes to apply scientific uh, principles of analysis to them, uh, to them and it doesn't always produce the, the uh, correct political um, results and so he of course has had uh, problems not only within uh, the scientific community but he's been um, uh, he's been uh, publicly uh, excoriated by journalists and activists of all sorts, but his book um, is actually a very—he's—he's—he's he's, he's not what we would call a climate denier, um, as which I should say, in fact, that over the last quarter century or so, it usually in a quarter century ago, when people started talking about global warming, um, the the skeptical response or the measured response was, well, maybe it is and maybe it isn't. What is true is we're having uh, global um, climate change, which is 
very much a constant throughout the history that we are aware of, that the Earth has undergone innumerable uh, evolutions in, in um, terms of climate uh, over centuries. And the, obviously one question is to what extent is the presence of man uh, culpable in all this, but another is a recognition that the science requires that we figure out what is the cause of climate change. And the, the fact of the matter is that no one is very certain, but some people are, are uh, quite confident about what they want to do to cure a disease that no one has fully diagnosed. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea, interesting book, and an interesting piece by Mr. Bryce. That is followed by an essay by Danny Heitman, who's a, um, a newspaper man who uh, wears two hats, the other being a literary critic of some of some distinct growing distinction, I think. And his essay is an appreciation of an American, modern American poet, um, I don't want to say largely forgotten, but um, to some degree well-known in his lifetime, but he died prematurely, and his work has gone into some, uh, his fame, I should say, his renown has gone into some decline since then. We're talking about Ellie Sisman, um, who, like many of the great uh, Anglo-American poets of the 20th century was a uh, was a poet by um, avocation. Um, Wallace Stevens, of course, was a an insurance executive. T. S. Eliot worked in a bank and then for a publishing company. And Ellie Sisman worked for an advertising agency in Boston, and he worked there at, during the Mad Men era. He lived between 1928. In 1976, much of his later life um, was shattered by the fact that he was um, uh, diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease when he was um, uh, in his mid to late 30s, and he died at the age of 48, leaving a small but, in my view, exquisite body of work, which Danny Heitman um, thinks uh, ought to be uh, 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 ought to meet with more appreciation. And um, there are still works by Sisman that could usefully be reprinted. And uh, perhaps there's an academic or a publishing house, a commercial publishing house out there that will take up the challenge. John Podhoritz's um, review this week is of uh, Run All Night, the Liam Neeson movie. And John has been in a kind of um, uh, speculative mood about um, movies as an industry and certain actors in particular. And Run All Night is an action picture uh, starring Liam Neeson, the uh, the Irish actor who was uh, very much in vogue uh, in his day, and of course is still a big star, I suppose. But John wonders if the if Run All Night is um, good as it is, um, might be spelling the beginning of the end of. Um, Liam Neeson, 56-year-old Liam Neeson's career as a uh, action-leading man. Well, who knows? Go see the movie and see if you agree with John. That is the books and arts section for this week. The Weekly Standard is not publishing next week. We have what we call in the office a dark week. Um, so this issue will stand for two weeks, uh, and I will be back uh, in two weeks to tell you about um, the next issue, and I very much look forward not only to putting it together, but to talking to you about it. Thank you so much.